Hard to believe, but for some teams around the country, it's mid-season. Uh, for us here, Ted Robinson, Michael Monterey, I'm Yogi Roth. We just keep it going. It doesn't really matter. We're trying to bring you Pac-12 football, the best in class every single week. It's Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. Ted, Michael, welcome back to the show. How are you feeling? The adventure for us was being in Boulder and watching the return of Khalil Tate, huh? Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that, Michael. How about you? How are you doing after the weekend, man? We keep having close games. I think we documented during the game that our conference has the closest games of any conference by far. And every week, it seems like we're down to the last last few minutes of the fourth quarter before we get a winner. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay, so to recap, because we're I'm hearing from a lot of people. I'm sure you guys are as well. This podcast just keeps growing. We're pretty much doubling our audience every single week, which that means it's a good thing. So as everyone has noted, more Michael. So Michael will continue to... <laughs> Make sure we get more of you in the conversation. But for the first time, listeners, we appreciate you coming, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. But basically, it's 30 minutes or less, Pac-12 football, and we go four downs, four big topics we want to talk about, and then a humanity moment of the week that comes from our producer, Michael Molinari. So first down, it's hard to believe that Arizona is in the lead in the Pac-12 South right now, and they did it because of their win over Colorado. And Michael, I think this is a great point to start with you because as the producer, you gear up all week long, getting us primed for this broadcast. And this was such a unique game because we didn't know the status of so many players. So can you share some insights into how to prepare for that and how you dealt with that heading into the Pac-12 South clash that we called? You know, normally we sit around and come up with an open and usually it's the star of team A versus star of team B. But in this case, the star of Colorado's LaVisca Chenault, we didn't know if he was gonna play, ended up not playing. We were fortunate to find that out uh, on Friday in the coaches' meetings. And then the star of this whole game in Arizona, for sure, Khalil Tate. I know no one's going to believe this, but we had no idea that Khalil Tate was going to play until he ran out, which is pretty unusual. So we had a Grant Gannell angle, and I had plenty of stuff on him, which we used none of because he ended up not playing. And we were ready. We went back to our, our story of Tate, how he burst on the scene two years ago in Colorado. And by the end of the night, you look at the last three times he's played Colorado, it's just amazing. And he did it in different ways every time. So we did not know. So we sort of had to go to break before the kick of who are we going to see for Arizona? We know we'll see Montez for Colorado. And it was perfectly honest and live. And, and we come out and here comes Tate. It was pretty cool. You know, guys, I think Khalil Tate on Saturday did what kind of come to believe it's a litmus test for quarterbacks. If you want to play, in his case, at a higher level, or if you're already in the pros at the highest level, which is every so often the quarterback has to be the reason his team wins a game. And Khalil Tate was the reason. Arizona goes in the locker room and says, we won this game because of Khalil Tate. That's how good he was Saturday. Now, that's not going to happen every week. And you know that better than anybody, yo. But in this game... My gosh, that was that was just some exceptional performance given that Arizona, a team we've come to know that loves to run the ball, forgot about the run. They said, heck, Colorado, we're not even going to try to run. We're just going to throw it on basically every down, see if he can stop us. Yeah, yeah, I just got done watching our game back, and I'm doing a breakdown on inside Pac-12 football. You can check out on the Pac-12 networks. And it's the impact of Khalil Tate when he just has the ball in his hands. And how many times do we see Nate Lamon, the linebackers, the safeties of Colorado just – go wherever he went. And I, I can't think, I mean, Ted, you've been doing this the longest in the Pac-12. Michael, you've been there for a ton. This is, I think, my 15th year in this conference. There's not a lot of quarterbacks that command that type of attention and have that type of impact on a game. I'm trying to rack my brain for guys. Like maybe Tui back at UW. You, you guys are no ah, better than me. Well, well, I tell you, as we keep saying, I called the game when he ran for 200 and passed for 300. 
So yeah, Marcus Tuius Sissopo had that for for a period of time. He may be offended. I hope not, but I don't know that he was he had quite the explosive ability that Tate did. Uh, that Tate has, I should say. But yeah, Tui was probably the last guy I could think of that was that kind of quarterback. Michael, I'm curious. Can you can you feel it? Because when we're calling it up in the booth, like I, I feel like Khalil Tate sometimes is running downhill on teams. And Christian McCaffrey felt that way. Reggie Bush felt that way for me. Do you feel that in the truck as well? You just feel like he's the type of player whenever he touches the ball, anything can happen. And you have to be ready for that. You look at the tape from 2017, which I'm sure Colorado looked at a lot. They barely ran, but just the fact of what he has done in the past allowed that threat and allowed for Colorado to have mass attention on him. And you saw what he did through the air. It was pretty special and completely unexpected, like I said before. Yeah, Michael, that's a great point. So, Yog, I'll, I'll throw this because you had this experience. I've seen two players in my life of calling college football that I felt were at the point where any time they touched the ball, they could score. And one was Rocket Ismail, and I called his games for two years at Notre Dame. And the other, you know well, Reggie Bush. And that's how exceptional they were any time they touched the ball. And so, Michael, you said that about Tate. And on Saturday, I got to the point where – Colorado goes down the field, has a beautiful drive, scores a touchdown. Tate comes back, and in three plays, they're in the end zone. And you had that kind of feeling, like, Tate can do this on any play. It's, it was just it, – it's not going to happen every week, but, boy, Saturday, it was sure as heck fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, I, I think back to, you know, to, to me, to this day, the best player I've ever seen on a football field is Christian McCaffrey, the best football player. Not the most impactful, not the most dynamic, but, like, overall best football player was was – C-Mac when he was at Stanford and because he could catch it versus Reggie coming out of the backfield. Reggie was the guy that every time he touched it, I co-signed with you, Ted, he could take it to the house and it felt that way in practice. And then there was Larry Fitzgerald who I got to play with in college where every time the ball went up in the air, it really didn't matter how many guys were around him. You felt that confident that he was going to come down with it. And I think there's that group of players, guys, that you're just like, Whatever they do, whatever they touch, you know, it's going to be great. And how many times have we said it like, and it's seen it, you know, Steve Sinstrom, we saw his son, Blake, a backup quarterback at Colorado. Whatever Steve was going to do in his future was going to be great because you saw him become the Pac-12 or Pac-10's all-time passing leader in his career. And, and I, I wonder if that trait will carry over for some of these guys, like, you know, Christian, Larry, Reggie, of course, on TV now. And I wonder where Khalil's going to be in 10, 15 years because he, he's been one of the more dominant players uh, we've ever come across. Well, hey, Michael, by the way, you have the soapbox ready? I'm pulling it out. Thank you, because I just want to use that little opening from Yogi to remind everybody with Yogi, what you heard him just say, well, just remember that Christian McCaffrey did not win the Heisman Trophy. Okay, just want to make sure and <laughs> remind everybody of that with what Yogi just said. He didn't have so, the numbers, Ted. He didn't have the numbers. <laughs> uh, so, so, Yogi, but your point is great because, look, Jimmy Lake, I have to tell you, you talk about, to me, the biggest disappointment of the weekend was Washington. My gosh, that, that defense is way too good to have that game go against them as Stanford did. Jimmy Lake, you know, has got smoke coming out of his ears. And this whole week now, they're spending this week with a major chip on their shoulder, that Washington defense. And you've got to believe they're not going to let Khalil Tate throw for 400 on him up in Tucson this Saturday. So that's to me, is where this becomes the adjustment. Now, Tate flashes. Now you know Washington's going to make sure, all right, that isn't happening. What else can you do to beat us? Yeah, it's going to be so fun to watch because UW, for whatever reason, hasn't done well at Stanford. I don't think Chris Peterson's ever won there. They've struggled in the state of Arizona. If you remember the year they lost to Todd Graham, 
and Arizona State on the road and just kind of a weird, funky game. So how do they bounce back? You know, how do they respond in this one? And if we're going to be truth tellers, after watching the tape of UW, I thought they missed a lot of tackles. I didn't think they were the more physical team on the fronts on either side. Davis Mills played as efficient of a game. Like he made throws that the starting quarterbacks at Stanford make. You know, what we've come to expect, play action pass, beautiful placement down the scene, down the sideline. I mean, he was he was awesome. But to, to the point of the game, the linebackers at Washington, they're going to have to play their best football because that's where Cleo kills you. You know, it's the zone read, run pass option game where your eyes follow him and boom, it's a wide receiver behind you. So I think, and I do think that's an area of Washington that's solid but not elite in terms of their back end is full of NFL guys. So I think this is going to be an incredible game Saturday night. And I think for UW offensively, Jacob Eason coming off in a performance where he struggled and their O-line struggled. They're going to see a bunch of exotic blitzes. You know, can they handle Tony Fields off the edge? You know, let's remember Arizona, for as much as we love Khalil Tate, Ted, you're all over it in the broadcast. They got after Steven Montez. The interior D line, the twists, the stunts, the moves, you'd have better protect or they're going to be looking at a potential second loss in a row. Well, I still blown away. And we will finish first down, but say Washington gave up 482 yards of offense to Stanford. And that's, that was mind blowing, right? As you said, yo, they were Stanford was reverting. Stanford was like, they've been the last seven, eight years. They were the more physical team. No one, I can't fathom anybody, including us would have said that. Saturday afternoon. Hey, by the way, Washington's going to get physically beaten tonight. There's no way. If you told Stanford's going to find a ground game. No, exactly. You said if Washington turned the ball over five times, if they missed a field goal late, they lose. I could understand all that. There's no way that you could have thought Washington is going to give up 480 on offense in that game. Mind blowing. Yeah. And, and the crazy part is, is that UW still controls their destiny in the Pac-12. So, I mean, is it going to be one of those years? I don't know, but let's move in on down number two because we're going to go across the state. And I want us to talk about defense. And, Mike, I want to t- t- kick you off on this one because th- there's a discussion of who, who's the best defense in this conference, right? It's easy to talk about Cal, Utah, Oregon. You know, UW had been in that conversation within the last week. Stanford, Ted, you talked about two weeks ago of the defensive personnel they have. Or excuse me, you talked about USC. And Stanford played their best game last weekend. I want to start, Michael, with Washington State because we're calling ASU against Wazoo this weekend on the Pac-12 networks, and their defensive coordinator, Tracy Clays, has just resigned uh, as of a couple days ago. How do you take the listener in? Like, How do you prepare for that when you know that a coordinator left? And have you ever had that before at this point in the season? I'm almost positive I've had a situation where the coordinator left, and it might have been for a different reason than which this seems to be that the team is just not responding on that side of the ball. To me, in the broad picture, how is this defense going to respond? Kind of like when a, a star player goes down, there seems to be that little that little extra boost they get. So I'm looking at, yes, of course, we have to establish what we get. We're going to speak with our coaches on Wednesday, get as much of the story from them as we can. And then it's looking ahead to how is the defense going to respond to losing their leader. I would expect, I would expect a bounce back on the defensive side at least in the short term for Washington State, that would be my expectation. Well, Yogi, you should talk about this because the, the other part of this matchup Saturday, there's obviously the Washington State story. Yes, how do they respond defensively? Uh, they were a, a non-factor at Utah, and they've had a week, now a week extra, so two weeks to sit on that. The other thing is this is the great 
college football game to me, complete contrast. We have Washington State throw it all over the place, air raid, and ASU that has been playing a fairly lower tempo game, right, with with a freshman quarterback, a really good running back, and Eno Benjamin and Herm Edwards. So I love that fact that we have a stark contrast in style. Yeah, we kind of have like NFL model, which is what Herm said day one, and, and they play that way. And what's Vogue now kind of in the NFL, but definitely in college, of course, in the air raid. Uh, so, so I'm pumped. And, you know, I talked to the crew up at Wazoo earlier today. Uh, you know, you'll see some personnel changes on defense. And we talked about this last week. I think college football is 75% energy. You know, like, do you have juice? Do you play? Do you rally to the ball? Do you play as Ed Orgeron, you know, famously said, one heartbeat in his beautiful Cajun accent? You know, if, if you can <laughs> do that, then, then you got a chance. And Wazoo hasn't done that. And they're going to have to out-execute Arizona State in this game to the point that Ted just referenced because they're going to run the ball. It's going to be a healthy dose of, you know, Benjamin. They got two true freshman O-linemen, and they could take shots and lull you to sleep. And let's not forget, even though ASU had a bye, their last two games, Jaden Daniels has suitably put him on his back a little bit. You look at – you could say three. They, the last driving is Michigan State. They opened it up in a loss against Colorado. We threw for over 300. And then against Cal, like – He's a guy that, as Herm Edwards said in his presser this week, he's going to get you three first downs with his legs. Unexpected first downs, not ones that you call as quarterback design runs. So to me, I think it's going to be one of those games, guys. I think it's going to be a possession here, a third down scramble here, you know, a big defensive stop by somebody. I just think we have, again, a couple weeks in a row now, a game that's going to come down in the last two possessions. All right, so Ted, defense. You know, this conference, you've been around. We talked about it for, for a while. It's been known as a quarterback conference. I, I think we should start talking about these defenses and specifically Oregon because they're going to get tested yeah. for the first yeah. time really by a big-time quarterback, you could argue, in their in their next game. You know, they've played Bo Nix to kick the season off. You kind of know their schedule, Cal and Devon Monster, but here comes Steven Montez, who we've had the last two games for Colorado. What, what have you seen from Oregon? What do you think is going to happen in Eugene on Friday? Well, I, I think, boy, this is going to be a tough one for Colorado. Look, short week. We don't know, as we've painfully found out on Saturday. We never know really what's going to happen. It's hard to fathom. It's hard to rationalize and think that LaVisca Chennault couldn't play this past Saturday after a bye week, and then he's going to come back and play on a short week on the road. That's a hard one to fathom. So um, it's just that's a tough ask for Colorado. And, uh, you know, Oregon is oh, is sitting really well. You know, again, I think this is the uh, – Michael, my gosh, I've been – you know, around this conference forever. I have never in my life started a conversation about Oregon football talking defense ever. Right? I'm sorry, Nick. I love Nick. You're Nick. You're one of the nicest people I've ever met in football. But we never have started a conversation talking about Oregon defense, and that's their team this year. You know, they're not explosive on offense. You know, they have the most experienced quarterback in the league in Herbert. All the draft hoopla, but the performance hasn't been, um, you know, all that explosive nature that's going to grab everybody's attention around the country and they're shutting people down. And, you know, as we saw last Saturday, they played Cal with, with a, 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 their backup quarterback in monster. And they just never let Cal's offense really uh, get traction. So the, the, the part to me, Oregon has taken the place of where Stanford and or Washington has been in the North since this conference went 12. They've been the one of those two teams has been the best defense in the conference right now. It's Oregon. And the interesting part to me, guys, is they don't play Utah. That's one of the misses this year. So you'd say, if right now, if I'd say those are the two best defenses, Yogi, would you agree? 
Oh yeah, and I would. Yeah, and they don't play, and they don't play. And let's hope they do in a Pac-12 title. Well, yeah. <laughs> you well, know, they, they certainly hope they play. <laughs> a lot of others hope they don't. But but that's the that's the that's the interesting part is that you know obviously that's the only time they can't play now is in Santa Clara. Um, the other part, guys, is Oregon gets a great break this week. It's just it's the horrible luck of the draw for Washington. Oregon plays at home on Friday night. Washington has to play in Tucson in this really late start time. They're going to get back to Seattle at 5 in the morning on Sunday to prepare for Oregon coming in. That's a massive advantage, I think, for the Ducks. Yeah, it. you know, this one's going to be fun because, you know, we're coming off the Arizona game, and if we go back two years, Colin Schooler, Tony Fields were dudes as freshmen. We go back last year, and it was Darian Butler and uh, other linebacker Merlin Robertson, true freshmen. Now here comes Kayvon Thibodeau. He had his best game. This was the number one recruit in the country, beat the vaunted SEC and Alabama on him, but they haven't had to start him. He's been playing as a backup, and now Gus Cumberlander, their starting defensive end, presumably out for an extended period of time due to the injury he got in the last weekend's game, here comes number five. He's a little undersized, but when you watch him on third down, guys, he's freaky. And granted, Cal's banged up on the offensive line. He wasn't going up against a world-beater tackle, but there's not a lot of teams in this conference that have world-beater tackles. Like the one that does, he plays for, and that's Panay Sewell at Oregon. So I'm, I'm really excited to watch that part of this game because everybody's going through their injuries. Everybody has them, but this is a big one for this defense. And when you watch this defense play, watching that game back this morning, the energy starting in the beginning in the front you could look at big number 34, Jordan Scott or Troy Dye or Javon Holland. I mean, they got all conference guys at every layer of that front or every layer of that defense. So I, I can't wait to, to see them compete because they need to keep competing with an edge because now it's campaign time. And, and I think we can say that. You know, they got UW coming up, then they got SC, and then they don't really have marquee games down the stretch. So they have to make a statement just based on what the CFP is and, and where they're at and located within that discussion. Yeah, that's a great point, Yogi, and I know you were part of that last week. But with one loss, I, I – I, all right, Michael, please roll the soapbox out again. <laughs> <laughs> I watched some show on one of the 50 ESPN networks Sunday – and there are a bunch of people sitting around in a studio, and our friend Jim Mora, who was really good with us when he was coaching at UCLA, Jim was one of the people. And they were talking about the CFP, and it's all about the top five or six teams, and no one else exists. And I just watched this thing for 10 minutes, and I, of course, you understand my perspective disgustedly turned it off. I'm sorry, Jim, because I do like Jim Mora. But uh, it was just, it, it's so wrong. Oregon has one loss. Why are they out? The loss they had was on the last play of the game to a really good Auburn team. Sadly, Florida, sadly for the Ducks, Florida put a little dent into Auburn's resume Saturday. But I think you're right, Yogi. And if Auburn can get through October, which is what they have to do, excuse me, if Oregon can get through October, then they should not be discounted. This should absolutely have every right to be in the conversation. And that's what frustrated me watching this thing Sunday was there was no conversation outside the top five or six. Yeah, and, I, and I'm going to jump on your soapbox and keep piling on, man. Like That, that to me, is a joke, and, and I'm disgusted by that for a couple of reasons. Coming out of the meetings that I went to in Dallas, it, it's really clear that the 13 people are dramatically impressive. Like, agree. Co-sign on their careers. It, it's amazing. But what is the one, one of two major issues, I think, with the college football playoff is that when you define the four best individually, we have issues. 
And that's what that that's what the task is given to the 13 members of the playoff committee. They they define what 13 best is or what four best is. So it is either best of your conference, it is four best at the end of the year, it is four best that have a conference championship, it's four best bodies of work. And I say that because we did a mock of 2014. And that was when Ohio State lost in week two to Virginia Tech, who finished seven and six and still made it. Right. And we're going to have the mock conversation if everybody finishes with one loss, Auburn, and let's just say Auburn doesn't go to the SEC title and Oregon wins the Pac 12 championship. It's going to be head to head conference championship debate. And it's going to be fun to have that because I think that's a fair discussion. And I kind of go old school of if you lost to that team, that team should get in. Uh, but to not be in the discussion now, and I told this to Chris Fowler over the summer at the Pac 12 meetings, it's your responsibility if you have a platform to respect and honor the game. And I, I don't like when that happens. And I, I get that there's only a few undefeated teams. And, and I'll get off the soapbox here, but it, we're, we'll be tracking it, obviously, in the next few weeks. Oh, Yogi, no, there's enough room for both of us. Don't worry. <laughs> and, and, and Michael, I'll invite you to join in on this one because Yogi, uh, this is a beautiful day as we record this pod because I was on with Yogi and Guy Haberman this morning on the Pac-12 uh, channel on uh, Sirius XM. And I heard, Yogi, you and Guy were talking about this. You posed the question last week, who runs college football? And I will give you my two cents. ESPN runs college football. And I mean that seriously. They Now, they've paid substantially for the right to do so. I'm the first one to acknowledge that. But they run college football. And the narrative that they're building that I watched 10 or 15 minutes of the other night, that's what I'm talking about. It's not the people in the room. It's ESPN. They drive this thing. I believe okay. if Oregon Oregon runs the table with one loss, with one loss, I think they've got a chance, but they gotta take care of they gotta take care of it. That's what they need to worry about right now. That's what I'd say. Okay. I like it. The producer, get back to business. All right. So we got about seven Yogi, minutes. He's, he's burning the soapbox right now. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, we're gonna get a call after this. All right. So we got seven minutes left in this podcast. We promise to get you through four downs. So okay. the third down, Ted, Michael, I want you guys to hit this one. I think it's one of the biggest games of the weekend, SC, Notre Dame. Ted, you were there, as you told us this morning, when Matt Barkley was there and won as a freshman. You, you were there too, weren't you? I w No, that was the first year oh, I stopped coaching. Okay. Yeah, my, I thought you were there. I was there for the Bush push um, and uh, and another one. Ouch. With, yeah, sorry to bring that one back up. Yeah. Uh, but I'm curious, how, how big of a game is this in your guys' eyes? Because it doesn't impact the Pac-12 South, which is all that USC can control right now, but is a, oh. an incredibly it's beautiful rivalry. Yeah, it's credibility, though. I mean, it's a USC credibility game, and, I, and I, I hope Slovis can play because I just think he by far gives them the best chance uh, to play in that atmosphere. It's going to be a night game, and so South Bend will be – and it's, you know, for Notre Dame, with all the changing, swirling scenarios, now they're playing five ACC teams a year, which I personally have no interest in. USC still the game. To a Notre Dame fan, USC is the biggest game they play on an annual basis. So, so that's going to be hard. That's And I'm saying this because, as I said to Yogi, 10 years ago, I was sitting in the stands with my family, and Barkley, as a real freshman, played beautifully there. I mean, remarkable poise. USC wins the game. I'm wondering if Slovis could, ha could have a shot to pull that same kind of game off. Rivalry game. Anything can happen. I mean, I've been watching that game since I was a little kid, and it's a national viewing, appointment viewing. So I think it could be a great opportunity for USC and even the Pac-12 conference to get a little national credibility that yeah, we all know exactly. is, is lacking. Okay. All right. So let's keep it moving. I, I can't wait for that game. Um, I'll never forget the, the Bush push. Just a quick antidote, Ted. 
when Dwayne Jarrett catches the catches the fourth down slant and go. I jumped up so high in the press box that I broke the TV. There's a little TV hanging in the right corner of old press boxes. And I smashed it. Every paper got thrown all over. And we're like, we got to get back, get organized. We got to call another play. And uh, I remember I was like 22 years old, just totally geeked out. For 14 years, I'd get, I'd get donor letters talking about things like that, Yogi. That, that's what us donors <laughs> do. We pay for those. And by the way, I've never said this to Leinert because it's painful for me. But that pass you referenced, that fourth down pass to Dwayne Jarrett, had to be the best pass of his life. I mean, that was such an extraordinary moment where it's what we talk about, where a quarterback steps up, right? That's why Leinert won Heisman, because he made, on the play of that game, he made an absolutely quintessentially perfect throw. Yeah, that was awesome. Okay, if they win, I'm going to take you guys through that final drive. Just I'll take you through it. I still have the call sheet <laughs> from that. Okay, so for both of you guys, uh, I feel like right now uh, there's like a middle of the Pac-12 in our fourth of four downs, right? Al, Wazoo, Stanford, Arizona, ASU, even though, you know, their record's higher, but Colorado, SC, maybe some more. Like, who do you feel best about right now that I guess just isn't Oregon, isn't Utah in the Pac-12 conference? Go ahead, Michael. I would say every Monday that team will change. That's what I'll say. Um, <laughs> producer. Oh, I, I mean, seriously. I mean, this weekend, who would have thunk half these results? I'm going to let Ted answer that a little more seriously because I want to get this in. The Beavs. How about the Beavs? I know it's not our downs, but I was so excited about them after the Stanford game last weekend. And they go into the Rose Bowl and get a win. And I just... I just feel like Oregon State is on the right track, regardless of what I keep reading every week from the pundits. Oregon State, you say 10 years, Yogi, let's look back in 10 years. I think Jonathan Smith is really going to get something going there. So that's my yeah. that's my take. I want to I want to make sure we got them in. Go ahead, Ted. All right. So I'll second just saying I hope you're right, Michael. And I'm so thrilled, like you said, because last week we were frustrated. Oregon State needs to win some games. They just can't keep playing hard and coming close. That doesn't work. They need to start winning, and that's a first step. Uh, Yogi, your question, I, I'm going to say, uh, I'm just going with talent. USC still has the talent. The, the, the If clearly is, can Slovis get back on the field? Can he clear the protocol and stay on the field and give them a shot on offense? But that's the team, to me, just their talent level is still so good. And the individual player that I'm going to beat the drum for repeatedly is Evan Weaver. Uh, because the guy has more tackles in the Pac-12 by like 600 than anybody else. And it's unfortunate. I mean, look, the Garbers injury is horrendous. Uh, We're having a a plague in the conference. I mean, who knows what Davis Mills did at the end of the Stanford game. I don't have any idea, but they ended up playing with their third guy, which is insane. Uh, And the Garbers injury really hurts Cal. But Evan Weaver is playing brilliantly, and I will pound the drum for him to be in the Heisman mix Heisman should not just be the best quarterback or the best Alabama player. I agree. I agree <laughs> with both of you guys. And I, I wonder, like, if we would have asked Justin Wilcox, hey, Oregon's going to score less than 20 points, would, he, would you take it? He would have said 100%. You know, so I, I, I do hope amid the injuries, as you referenced, that the nation recognizes and continues to recognize what Justin is doing because he's a great human. And you know what else? As I bridge to our humanity moment of the week, Michael, your humanity moments, I've heard from a lot of people about those probably a little bit more or a lot more than our analysis of teams. So I'm going to tee you up here to finish this off. Well, this will be the easiest one of the year. Uh, Just take a listen. I, it is out there on the internet. I have seen it on on Twitter and on 
uh, Facebook, but that's Chance Lytle, who is the backup offensive lineman for Colorado, who we had the great opportunity to spend about 45 minutes with on Friday. And he uh, joined you guys for a little advancer for the studio's uh, playlist show, which was a big hit. And then he he laid down about a, a minute, a minute 45 track of uh, an opera. Ted, what was the opera's name again? Do you know? Remember? It was uh, Mag- Magic Flute by Mozart. Yes. It was, it was wonderful. You, by the way, can we please register the fact that I knew that? Go ahead. That, well, I knew you'd know. <laughs> I knew you'd know because that's, that's who you are. You would know. So Yogi and I, no idea, but we knew it sounded beautiful. So the humanity part, obviously this guy's talent, but I want to take you inside the truck. We spent the time to do this. You know, his father was sitting there. He was up for parents weekend. So, you know, he texted everybody on the planet he knew. So everybody's watching to wait for this moment in the game. Well, it takes a good 30 seconds at least to tell the story properly and get some of the music in. So all game, I'm hoping we need to score where we stay, which for the uninitiated means we have three or four breaks every quarter. But after that, if a team scores, we're not going to commercial. So that gives us a good minute. So I need this to happen. So Sam Peshek is standing by at any moment. I believe it's Colorado lined up for a field goal. And I've never wanted a field goal to go through the goalpost more. Because if it does, that means we've got this whole minute to tell this story. And, and no one's going to be mad at me. And we're going to get it in. So that field goal goes through. The most exciting field goal in a long time for me. We throw down to Sam. We tell the beautiful story. And it's all a happy ending. But the humanity is the stress of the producer who is praying for this <laughs> field goal to go through so we can tell this kid's story and do it as well as possible. Sam Patrick did a great job with it. I hope uh, Chance's father is smiling when that went on the air. And by the way, props to Sam. Sam uh, was with us because Lewis Johnson was uh, globetrotting on uh, the World Track Championships. But Sam, who was an Olympian herself, was fabulous handling all that. And I've got to say, Yogi, that... 45 minutes or so we spent on Friday with Chance uh, in the music hall. I forget the name of it now, but on the CU campus. That's That makes you feel so good with all the conversations we get belted with once we get back into the real world. That 45-minute little bubble that we were in, listening to Chance Lytle, was fabulous. And it just made you feel so good about college football. Yeah, I think amid the week of the new rule being passed by California and other states, you know, it reminded us and hopefully reminded everybody that watched it. And this podcast hopefully reminds people that there's still an element of student to student athlete and there's still college that exists and makes people better. And Chance Lytle may be an NFL draft pick. Uh, He may be playing for the New York Symphony one day, but either way, football is allowing him to chase this dream at an institution he fell in love with. Hey, the name image likeness thing discussion that may help someone like a Justin Herbert in Eugene, Oregon, someday the next Justin Herbert, I should say, by the time this becomes law. Um, You know what? For Chance Lytle, it'll be the Metropolitan Opera, right? That's where he'll be able. He'll be able to go sing in the summer at the Met and be able to earn a living doing that. Awesome. Good for him. I love that. And we'll be there to capture it all, led by our producer, Michael Molinari. Ted, maybe you and I can get a box to stand on and direct. But that's why, and that's why, guys, I also want to mark this down. I'm going to say something nice about Michael. That's why Michael Molinari is a brilliant producer, because that was an incredibly wonderful, creative idea to do that on Friday. And like I said, it was an injection of good vibes for me that I I really appreciate. I love it. Well, I appreciate this convo. I hope everybody listening does as well. If you do, subscribe, rate, review. And if you already dig it, tell a friend. 
and send a review out. That's how this thing continues to go in the weird algorithm of podcasts. So send an email, send a text, copy, paste, retweet Michael's social media handle or Ted Robinson's. Uh, we'll make sure we kick it all out there. And fellas, as always, uh, one of the most enjoyable 30 minutes of the week. Appreciate the time. Way to go, yo. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for letting him do it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the love to all the family for letting us have our 30 minutes. All right. I appreciate you guys. Talk to you soon. <laughs>